Greetings and welcome to The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. My name is Larry Beckwith. On this episode of the show, I'll be speaking with John Aberger, the Artistic Director of the Toronto Bach Festival, about our co-production of the Bach Cello Suites programs this fall in Toronto. We're presenting three concerts with two suites on each concert, approaching the works from a number of different stylistic and instrumental perspectives. The second concert in this series will be hosted by John and feature performances of suites numbers four and six given by the Baroque cellist Kieran Campbell and Eleanor Fry, who plays the five-string violoncello piccolo. A feature interview about the Bach cello suites with John Aberger on this edition of The Fuse. Hello, I'm so happy to be presenting this first episode of The Fuse for our 2021-2022 Confluence season. It's been a busy time planning a season and a number of other events while continuing to wrestle with safety protocols. Thankfully, there is always Johann Sebastian Bach, and it's been so restorative to be living with and listening to the cello suites in preparation for our three-concert series featuring these magnificent works. We have broadcast suites numbers one and three recorded in September at the Heliconian Hall, and we're preparing for the next two programs, which will be recorded and broadcast in the coming weeks. I'm delighted that this series is being co-presented with the Toronto Bach Festival, and my guest on this podcast is their artistic director, John Averger. John is one of North America's leading performers on historical oboes, and in addition to his leadership of the Toronto Bach Festival, he has been the principal oboist with Tafel Music since 1989. He has performed extensively in North America, Europe, and the Far East, and appears regularly with other prominent period instrument ensembles. He's made several excellent recordings and serves on the faculty at the University of Toronto. John Aberger, welcome to The Fuse. Thanks very much, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, first question would be, for listeners who are not familiar with the Toronto Bach Festival, Could you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. Many large cities uh, have a Bach festival. Obviously, um, Bach is one of the great composers of the Western European tradition. Um, I believe his music informs pretty much everything that came after him in in a hugely important way. But he also wrote a great deal of music, much of which isn't performed very often, interestingly enough. He being a household word in terms of of composers in that Western tradition. So it's logical to have a festival to celebrate his music and to play the great pieces that we all know and love and to explore all the other music that uh, we don't hear very often. I like to say uh, 70% of Bach you've never heard. And it's extraordinary music and it's of extraordinary quality through and through. There's not a bad piece in there, in my opinion. So it's it's worth having a, a festival to celebrate that. 
And I could also add uh, on a personal note, uh, where I grew up in central Florida, uh, there's a small liberal arts college called Rollins College uh, in Winter Park, Florida, and they've had a Bach festival there since I think 1936 or something, a, a very, very old tradition. And as a child, my parents took me to this festival and I heard, vividly remember hearing the St. John Passion for the first time in a performance, uh, just extraordinary uh, experience for me and really informed my thinking. So I think everyone should have a Bach festival that they can attend. We're so happy that we have one in Toronto now. This is great. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, during the pandemic, it's been it's been very challenging finding ways to present concerts and programs. And um, I thought at some point when we were planning this season that my thoughts went to the, the Bach cello suites. I have a favorite recording of Anna Bilsma playing them that I play often. And right. I think it was one of those times when I had it out and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be so wonderful to have the, the cello suites played? And it also from a practical point of view, you know, it's only one performer and it's not a singer and could be performed under sort of safe circumstances. And so right. we, we planned this series and it seemed logical to, to co-present it with the Toronto Bach Festival and to take advantage of your expertise and also to invite your audience into the, the whole process as well. Um, so I'm very grateful to you for, for saying yes <laughs> and, yeah. and to be able to plan this together. And I guess one question that came to mind when I, I knew I was going to be interviewing you is, is when did you first come into contact with the cello suites? Well, it's interesting. Um, first of all, let me say we're thrilled to be co-producing this with you. And, and certainly our mission is to get great performances of Bach out there in the world. And, and this is a fantastic idea of yours. And we're very, very pleased to partner with you uh, on this um, set of concerts. Interestingly, I came to the cello suites rather late. I certainly was aware of their existence uh, as far as, I, as long as I can remember. Um, but, you know, the, they're more famous cousins, you might say, the, the uh, sonatas and partitas for solo violin. I was more familiar with. And it's only, um, I'd say, off and on over the last 20 years that I've really started to explore these amazing works and and observe the, the fascinating ways that they are obviously related to their cousins, the, 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 the sonatas and partitas for solo violin, but also how they differ. It's, it's quite, quite fascinating. It would appear that Bach wrote the first, the, the sonatas and partitas for violin as Libro Uno and, and intended the cello suites to be the second book, although it doesn't ever actually say that uh, on the title pages. Yeah. Uh, and he wrote, as far as we know, he wrote a lot of his instrumental music during this this time in, in Anhalt Curtain when uh, he didn't have, um, I guess, it's wrong to say that he didn't have church duties, but his church duties were quite limited, as I understand. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so could you talk maybe a little bit about the that period of his career? So 1717 to 22, I guess, or 22 or 23. Right, right. Well, he went to Leipzig in 1723. Mm -hmm. Certainly that period in Curtin uh, represents a lot of Bach's instrumental music. Uh, and, and as you say, he, his church duties were rather light, so he had a lot more time to think about uh, instrumental music. And probably, as far as we know, which is not a lot, um, he was 
to provide chamber music for uh, the prince and his court. Uh, and that seems to have been the larger part of his duties. It's interesting to note, however, it's for it's certain that Bach encountered this famous virtuoso Westhoff when he was in Weimar, uh, and so it's thought that his and uh, and excuse me and Westhoff wrote um, several sets of dances, uh, suites, if you will, Allemann, Courant, Sarvangig, for solo violin. So this was Bach's point of departure uh for this kind of music for a solo string instrument so it's thought that the 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 germ the idea the genesis of these pieces actually came in weimar but it seems apparent that um they were collected together and probably revised uh, during the curtain period um all of the surviving uh copies of both the violin set and the cello set seem to be what are known as fair copies. They're not composing scores, which would obviously mean corrections and emendations and stuff. They seem to have been copied from some other score and they're much cleaner and easier to read, which is why many performers enjoy playing from these originals because they're, they're very beautifully written out. That's John Aberger, Artistic Director of the Toronto Bach Festival, speaking about our current three concert series, co-presented by Confluence Concerts and the Toronto Bach Festival, and featuring the complete cello suites by J.S. Bach. I thought it would be nice to hear a snippet of the suites. Here's the late great Dutch Baroque cellist Honor Bilsma with the Courant from the fifth Bach suite in C minor. Bilsma's gorgeous performance of the Courant from the Fifth Suite for Solo Cello by J.S. Bach. You're listening to The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. My name is Larry Beckwith. Let's return now to my conversation with John Aberger, Artistic Director of the Toronto Bach Festival. We continued our discussion by considering what drew Bach to the idea of writing works for one instrument, 
like the cello suites or the sonatas and partitas for solo violin. John Aberger. Bach was interested in exploring the possibilities of a single instrument. There's a very interesting observation I'd like to make. The, the, the Corelli trio sonata model was certainly the dominant chamber music form of the last part of the 17th century and the first part of the 18th century. And there's no question he knew those works, but curiously, we don't really have any instrumental trio sonatas that he wrote. He wrote a wonderful set of six sonatas in three parts for the organ, mm -hmm. the three parts being right hand, left hand and feet. Um, and those are wonderful, wonderful pieces that many people, including me, have transcribed for instruments. Um, but uh, we really don't have any chamber music like that, that he wrote. And almost to the contrary, it would seem that he was interested in, rather than expanding things, distilling them down. So we know that in Weimar and also in Curtin, he was taking concertos by Vivaldi and other Italian masters and putting them into an arrangement for a solo keyboard. Uh, so he seemed to be interested in this kind of distillation. And to me, these works for solo violin and solo cello represent that kind of distillation of the music. Uh, how can I take one single instrument and explore a whole world of possibilities, but with the discipline of, of the single instrument, uh, a string instrument providing, of course, the chordal possibilities in, in certain cases. But uh, right. it's fascinating yeah. to think about it that way. Yeah, and 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 it makes more sense in a way that he would have done that for the violin. But the cello, you know, at the time was, if I'm not mistaken, a primarily a bass instrument, played the continual lines in in orchestral pieces, and not often used as a solo instrument. That's true. Although there are examples of solo cello music even from the 17th century, but they're they're quite unusual and rare. It's nothing like the somewhat extensive. Uh, music for solo violin, as you say, uh, this guy Vesthoff, his works, I think, were widely circulated. Johann Gottfried Walter wrote uh, works for solo violin, and um, certainly uh, Bieber, right. famous Austrian composer, wrote uh, extraordinary works for the solo violin. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of model, there were a lot of models there. But you're right, the models for cello are, are quite limited. And as far as we know, Bach was himself, of course, a famous keyboard virtuoso, but also quite well respected as a violinist uh, and, and known for playing the viola, enjoying playing the viola in chamber ensembles. But we don't have a lot of evidence that he himself played the cello, although it doesn't seem possible that he didn't to, when you look at these amazing works for solo cello. Right. Well, so let's get in, into a little bit about the the instrument itself. We had this beautiful first program with Winona Zelenka and Michelle Tang, and they, they both came out and played Suites 1 and 3 and planted their end pins in the <laughs> in the floor and right. played on on modern instruments with steel steel wound strings and a modern bow. Right. Uh, and uh, so this next program uh, features uh, very different instruments and very different bows. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that, just generally the difference between uh, the historical instruments and the instruments that we know today. Yes, of course. Well, um, at the Toronto Bach Festival, we, we firmly believe that period instruments are the, the best medium uh, for Bach's music. And the, the, the string instruments from the 18th century represent 
generally less tension uh, in the sound and in the setup. So they, they of course, have gut strings. Um, I was um, speaking with recently with um, Eleanor Frey, who's going to perform one of the suites, the sixth suite on this concert. And she was explaining to me that in order to have the low strings have enough mass, they found in the 17th century already that if they wound them with wire, they could get more mass in the string without having to have such a thick string, which could then uh, respond better. The thick strings don't are, are notoriously difficult to articulate. Mm-hmm. So it's explained to me. Uh, so um, the, the gut core, of course, is very important uh, for the basic sound, but then we have the the extra mass of the wire around lower two strings, the C string and the G string. Um, so, and then having pure gut strings on the uh, upper two strings makes a very different sound from a steel, steel string. Uh, so it's a, it's a very different sound. Plus the instrument is set up with less tension. Um, and, and the lower pitch that we find in that was prevalent at that time uh, speaks to that as well, that there's less tension. So that that um, just gives a different sonority to me, to me, a very, very, very pleasing sonority. And then in addition, as you alluded to, the shape of the bow that was used at this time is different and does facilitate the reaching more than one string at a time um, with with greater ease. And then I'll also touch on the fact that of the set of six cello suites, uh, the fifth suite involves a, a different tuning of the instrument, mm-hmm. which again was not unheard of, although I, I'm going to hazard a guess here, it was unusual for the cello, just as these solo works are unusual for the cello, much more well known for the violin, particularly in the works of uh, Bieber that I mentioned before. So that that uh, for that piece, he asked that the top string be tuned down so that he can facilitate the playing of various chords and the tonality that he's selected. And then the sixth suite is for a five-stringed instrument. So it's sort of a, an interesting instrument, um, and there's a great deal of controversy about uh, the various uh, forms that the cello was taking at this time in musical history. Uh, and then there's just a number of things to think about. First of all, there was a lot of experimenting and the addition of this higher top string tried to bring the cello up from its role as a bass instrument more into kind of the tenor register, uh, which implies a bit more ease of expression or a bit more vocal expression, I think. And in addition, so, so you've got the low C string plus this high string, but that also changes the way the instrument is set up because you can't have the same arc of the bridge in order to accommodate these strings. And that in turn um, affects again, how the possibilities of playing um, more than one string at a time and, and things like that. So it's very uh, interesting to hear this sixth suite performed on an instrument that appears to be like the one that Bach conceived of. And I think it's interesting to think about the fact that in the, 18th century, the early 18th century, generally speaking in the 18th century, we're dealing with a pre-industrial culture where um, instruments are not standardized the way we've come to believe that they are or the way we expect them to be in the modern symphony orchestra. So there are lots of experiment going on, particularly with these bass instruments. 
and and they had took on many different names and like in Bologna they were called this and in Venice they were called that and it's it's a, it's actually fascinating but also a little bit maddening when you try to sort it all out. Um, generally speaking, this five string instrument was known as a violoncello piccolo, so it was typically a slightly smaller instrument. But but uh, more to the point, this higher string allowed um, the the music to reach a higher tessitura without this kind of, uh, I'm going to, cellists are probably going to cringe here, but without the technical issues of going up into a thumb position or going up high on the strings. Right. Uh, so it's, it's quite fascinating um, that to uh, see that Bach was in, knew all about these different experiments that were going on with these bass instruments. And um, this answer is going on in a while, I know, but um, I want to just add at the end that playing period instruments isn't only the instruments themselves and the techniques involved. There, there are different techniques using this different bow differently. Um, but there's a lot of important um, understanding of, of the dance forms, which are hugely important in these works because they are all um, suites of dances. But it's super important uh, to understand the, how those dances worked and what the characters of those dances were to perform them effectively. You're listening to The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts. My name is Larry Beckwith. We'll get back to the final portion of that interview with John Aberger in just a moment. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I've been listening to a wide variety of recorded performances of the cello suites lately and have come to agree with Winona Zelenka, one of our fantastic performers, when she says that there are as many great interpretations of these works as there are great cellists. In that spirit, here's the second bourree from the cello suite number four in E-flat major, played by one of the giants of 20th century music, cellist Mstislav Rostropovich. The great Russian cellist Mstislav Rostropovich, playing the second bourree from Cello Suite No. 4 by J.S. Bach. I concluded my interview with John Aberger, Artistic Director of the Toronto Bach Festival, by asking whether it is accurate to say that the cello suites fell out of use throughout the 19th century until they were rediscovered by the brilliant Spanish player Pablo Casals. It would appear that while the, the again the cousins the violin works did a, did continue to circulate in the 19th century among virtuosos Joachim was famous for performing mm. them the cello suites as far as we can tell seem to have been kind of forgotten so I think there's must be some truth to the fact that Casals kind of 
rediscovered them. And my understanding is that when he first found them, people thought they were in fact etudes, uh, which is to say studies, uh, mm -hmm. technical exercises. Um, and I think there's an interesting element to that, that uh, the, the, the 19th century saw the rise of much more systematic methods of instruction, I think, for, for instrumentalists. And um, so a, a great body of, of technical exercises was developed. That wasn't a thing in the 18th century. That wasn't a, really a genre. And I think, yes, I think Bach was exploring the technique of these instruments and, and expanding it hugely. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, it, you, you wouldn't think of just writing something merely as an exercise. You would just, you write music. Um, uh, that's my understanding of the aesthetic of the time. So when Casals first found them, I think people thought, oh, these are, these are exercises, these are etudes. And then if it was Casals that showed us, no, this is actually not only music, but extraordinary music yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah his his performances are are can be an, anachronistic but he, he wasn't a great artist there's no question about Absolutely. it every great artist brings something great to the table right it's you know, yeah um you know. our last concert is going to stretch um in another direction and have uh two of the suites played on different instruments a double bass and a viola and yeah. I think for those players, uh, for players of those instruments, I think they have also co-opted the, the box suites as uh, because they're beautiful works and because they're doable on those instruments. I just wonder your, your general thoughts about interpreting these works on not on instruments that they were they were initially written for. Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> while uh, at the Toronto Bach Festival we do place a fair amount of emphasis on the use of period instruments um, and sort of uh, the original intent, if you will, mm. of the music. Um, I'm, I firmly believe that Bach's music is indestructible. It's, it's, um, it's music for the ages. And I, I'm very happy to see people play it in whatever guise they like. And um, even I listen to uh, Glenn Gould or Angela Hewitt at times and, and play Bach on the piano. And I have my qualms, but they're, they're, they're great artists. It's always great to hear a great artist bring their artistry and their intelligence to bear on a great piece of music. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're showing people how these works can be explored uh, in sort of alternate settings. I think it's just wonderful. Well, thank you, John. It's great to be working with you. And uh, as I often say, you know, we're so busy. And of course, again, the pandemic has isolated us even more that um, that it's, I, I find it's, it's, uh, you know, it makes logical sense to work with you on this project, but it's also just nice to see you and to talk to you <laughs> as a friend as well, and uh, to have a reason to do that. So well, the I feeling really is mutual, Larry, it's great pleasure to to uh, be able to work with you on such a great project. All right. Thank you. Thanks. John Aberger is the artistic director of the Toronto Bach Festival, with whom Confluence Concerts is co-presenting a series of three programs featuring complete performances of the cello suites by J.S. Bach. For information on the performers and YouTube premiere dates, please visit the Confluence Concerts website at www.confluenceconcerts.ca. We have a great number of exciting projects on the go at Confluence, including these Bach concerts, the annual Walter Unger Salon in early December, featuring a talk on the fascinating 20th century American musical figure Ruth Crawford, 
by the new Dean of the Faculty of Music at the University of Toronto, Dr. Ellie Hisama. The new year will bring programs on Nina Simone, E.T.A. Hoffman, and the long-awaited Butterfly Project, featuring the amazing Taya Kasahara. This is The Fuse, the podcast of Confluence Concerts, and we are coming to the end of this program. My thanks to John Averger for a lively and informative discussion. We'll have a new episode for you very soon. In the meantime, take good care. Please stay in touch. And thanks for joining us. My name is Larry Beckwith. Bye for now.